Welcome to Vintage Stories, the news series. Everything's up at dbpodcast.org, by the way, but uh, I'm just sitting here laughing at myself because, uh, yeah, everything's a little last minute, including when I'm doing stuff for myself. I just went up to dbpodcast.org and looked at the theme, you know, my tagline for the this new podcast series, Vintage Stories, and it pretty much didn't make any sense. I think I... And all I did was change it to, I just put an un in front of it. So it was saying a podcast of quenchable lives, which I don't know. I wrote that like a few weeks ago and just makes no sense at all. I have no idea why I wrote that. I think it's a little more, maybe I I just forgot to put the un in. So now it says a podcast of unquenchable lives. Literally just changed minutes before I've uh, started recording when I said, hey, let's look at the website and see what I have up there. But, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm the producer and the, uh, well, the everything behind Vintage Stories, uh, except for my awesome guests, which we'll get to in a second. But, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, I did this podcast in a different form for, for years. You know, I was traveling around. I was just, in my mind, thinking somebody's got to do this. I meet all these, like, crazy interesting people in this, in the wine and beverage industry uh, and also a lot of chefs and charcuterie and just really interesting people so I I thought nobody's really talking to these people behind the scenes of all the stuff that we eat and drink Uh, and so I just started it that way but you know you travel you have a daughter a nice relationship with a beautiful Italian woman and you get a little inconsistent with recording and yeah, I mean, not that I'm not going to travel anymore. I still am going to travel quite a bit, going uh, to the good old USA from where I live now in Hawke's Bay, where I'm a permanent resident of New Zealand. Very exciting. Uh, I will travel still, but uh, this podcast for the near future is going to be focused on Hawke's Bay, New Zealand, probably do some greater New Zealand things of this giant country that we live in here. Uh, But it's really going to be focused more on Hawke's Bay and the people and producers here, uh, hopefully mostly produced, mostly based on winemakers and speaking to peers and mentors of mine. But I hope to talk to some scientists, research people, certainly some bit of culturalists and who knows, maybe delve into the world of the politics behind wine and there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's some people I really would love to speak to that really affect the industry that we don't think about, you know. Uh, there's a big river project going on, a dam going up, sort of upstream from Hawke's Bay. I would love to speak to people about that and let, let them speak the pros and cons of that. Uh, might be dead in the water, uh, pardon the pun, but there's certainly some people pushing for that. Love to speak to people about that, but today I started off with a professional, a professional speaker, presenter, uh, she didn't like the term journalist when we talked about that, but it's uh, but maybe or broadcaster. She's sort of tough to define, but if you live in New Zealand and you know anything about drinks and the beer, food, wine industry, you know Yvonne Lorcan. She is on TV three. She has columns in the paper. She's on national radio. She's been on some of the talk shows in the morning and. 
I met her a few years ago when she was doing her show Thirsty Work, uh, which she still does, and it's probably more popular than ever. Uh, I catch it online sometimes, uh, but I tend to not watch much TV, being the borderline millennial that I am. I catch most things online these days. Um, But anyway, I'll get back to Yvonne in a second. I do want to give a shout out to Willie Devine. Amazing music to start off the podcast today. Again, a local guy. We're really going to focus on Hawks Bay and try to do as many Hawks Bay things as we can. So Willie, if you are out in seeing a live band in Hawks Bay, there's probably a good chance Willie's going to be somewhere in the background playing piano. He could be up front playing bass. He's probably written most of the songs that you're hearing. And uh, yeah, man, he just whipped that up and was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I can do that. And he's just a, a really cool guy and I appreciate having him on board. He's helping me out now do this podcast and hopefully the quality and production, I mean, yeah, production value. Imagine that on a podcast all the way down here in New Zealand. So uh, I want to show the talents of the area, and I think it's a bit of an advantage of myself uh, maybe being a little naive, being the expat that I am, or or maybe just, you know, excited to be here and, and show the rest of the world what Hawks Bay has. So um, Thanks to Willie for doing that. I hope you guys dig the tunes, you know, all throughout. And uh, if you want to check out Willie locally, he's uh, his main band is the Tropical Downbeat Orchestra, and they're simply found at tdo.co.nz. Or for you traveling people, that's tdo.co.nz. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a new series, new life to it. Very exciting. I mean, why not? I can do this. I've got technical prowess. I used to work in the music industry, but I am, I will struggle with this at times. Uh, It's a bit, you know, shooting from the hip with this, so be patient with me. But like I said, having somebody like Willie on board and a few friends like Tom back in the States who helped me get this set up, he was just flew in last week to check it out. Um, That's how he rolls. Uh, but yeah, like I said, somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to tell these stories. Why not me? Uh, why not the guy who's got a sweet pair of new headphones? Uh, they're, they almost look like radio headphones, so I can hear myself and check out these recordings. Uh, today, like I, I talked with Yvonne Lorkin. So I, I think you guys will int- uh, enjoy the interview with her. Uh, we spoke for probably a little less than an hour. She's a great speaker. Uh, it was really easy. That's why I chose her to do the first one because I knew I could sit back and just ask her a few questions and she would have a lot of great answers and a lot of cool things to say. Uh, I find myself very comfortable speaking with her. I think you probably would too. And that's the sort of attitude that she has. She says it towards the end of the podcast. Just reach out. You can find her at YvonneLorkin.com. That's Y-V-O-N-N-E-L-O-R-K-I-N.com. There you can find stuff to her direct-to-consumer wine sales, which is called Wine Friend, links to Thirsty Work, and all, all her blogs and writings, and you know she's been published. She's a very active woman, and we're lucky to have her back in Hawke's Bay these days. So I want to thank her for sitting down and talking to me. Uh, yeah, Yvonne Lorkin, cool name, right? I mean, we pr- people in New Zealand probably take that for granted, but, you know, if, if you're in the States, yeah, Google, 
cool name, right? You may even find her too. I heard she mentioned during the podcast that her show Thirsty Work has been sold to some networks in the States. So maybe a bit of searching. But the easiest way is if you just, again, this is the kind of person she is. She says it during there. Just go to her website. She'll send you a link to Vimeo and you can check it out if you have a real interest in New Zealand food and wine and beer. I think she does some distillery stuff as well. Uh, but, she, you know, it's really cool production that she does. Um, she does a good job. There's a lot of great footage. And if, especially if you're not from New Zealand, uh, you can learn a lot really quick. And she's just got a really good way of um, getting that point across. So anyway, we discussed that during it. And I hope you guys enjoy it. As always, we need to sponsor this podcast. Can't just pay for itself. I got, you know, all this crazy equipment here that needs to be paid for. So please, please go to decimalwines.com and check out the store there. We're now shipping everywhere in the world. Well, pretty much everywhere. And for my buddies back in the States, I still love you. I'm down here far, far away, but I've created decibelwinesusa.com free shipping to America. It's all really easy to do. And for people in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, the US, just go in there, click on the flag. We'll find you. We'll ship it to you. And if you use the promo code at checkout, DB podcast, you get 10% off. Spend over a hundred bucks, 10% off just because we're, we're I like that. So, uh, yep. Here's my chat with Yvonne. And I'll talk to you guys in a bit. Enjoy. Well, we've just started, and I don't know anything about you, so... <laughs> I don't know what's complicated to you. Um, and it's very exciting because you just heard my new theme music. And I think we're in an upbeat mood now. I'm, you know? I'm really, really upbeat after that theme music. I'm, I'm shaking. There are parts of me shaking that, that haven't for, for a while. Uh, and I think what's cool about that, local Hawks Bay artist. Um, I've done this uh, podcast in other ways before, usually with a lot of international folks as I'm traveling, people passing through for vintage, right. stuff like that. But I've kind of pulling it all back now. I'm really just going to focus on Hawks Bay for a while, which is sort of good because you've only, well, in the well, last I'm, couple of years back to Hawks well, Bay, Well, right? yeah, yeah. So we, we came back in 2014. But, you know, I'm Hawks Bay, born and bred. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, keeping it keeping it local, keeping it within the uh, the Turanga Waiwai is, is what I'm yes. all about. I yeah, heard that term absolutely. at, at Pino 17 quite a bit. <laughs> Which was a blast. That was quite Wasn't a, it? quite a show they put Huge on there. Huge event. It's amazing because, you know, if you're not in the industry, people have no idea how massive this event is globally. And yet we have it in Wellington, you know, every what, every three years now. Yeah, with awesome weather. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a bit, that was a bit interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everybody's like, you, you know, they got to Hawke's Bay after like the next week, some of the media. And, uh, you know, it was gorgeous. And the summer we had was like so dry. It and was hot. a screamer. It was amazing. And, and they were just like, oh, okay, we get it now. We were wondering when we were in Wellington how you guys could <laughs> grow fruit here. <laughs> but where were you before Hawke's Bay? 
uh, traveling um, around? No, no, not traveling around. We just um, we were relocated to Christchurch for um, a couple of years for my husband's job. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, so we um, we went there and we found out we had to move in 2010, the end of 2010, and um, we moved in uh, end of January 2011, and then. A fortnight later, after we'd landed in Christchurch, the earthquake struck. So that was really, um, that was really intense. So we had a really full on three and a half years there. Um, And it wasn't a, you know, you had lots of people saying, um, oh, why don't you just leave? You know, just leave. Yeah. Just get out, come back home. Yeah. But, you know, but it wasn't that simple. You know, my, my husband was the head of health and safety for a very, very big company down there. And he had hundreds of hundreds of employees who were pretty traumatized and, and um, like, yeah. things pretty tough. So you you can't leave people in, in that situation. So, no. so yeah, but what, what was good about it was I got to spend um, a lot of time with um, uh, the Canterbury and Waipara Wine Which growers. is a really cool scene. Very uh, cool. I'm working Very with cool. A, a woman this year at Harvest who spent some time there doing harvests at a couple different wineries and yeah, it's a fascinating area. I mean, you yeah. know, the whole kind of you've got the Banks Peninsula um, kind of subregion, and then you've got the West Melton um, sort of western side, and then of course you've got the Northern Canterbury um, Waipara side, and then mm. even further north slightly to Cheviot um, areas like that. Incredible. Geography for a start, and just great people, very, yeah, very really, great, really you know, stories and, said, and yeah. yeah, yeah, people with with a lot of um, a lot of energy and creativity um, down there. You'd have so. to some extreme conditions, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was that was good. So I really kind of threw myself straight into that whole scene for a couple of years, which was. Fine. I'm just going to shut my door before the cat comes in. Oh, I wondered. I, <laughs> I thought it might have been you meowing, but it doesn't happen often. <laughs> That's the uh, <laughs> the podcast world. So yeah, studio <laughs> in progress up here. Um, That's good. But yeah, no, I'm really happy you uh, agreed to do this because this is sort of the launch of yeah, like I said, the new new version of it. Sure. And uh, why not have a professional on? So a professional journalist. Oh and, no, uh, no, no, uh, no, no, not a journalist. Uh, no, please don't, please don't say journalist. So what would you say? Who, uh, who are you, Yvonne? Well, um, well, I'm not okay. So. This is just my opinion. Okay. You know, a yeah, well, journalist, <laughs> a journalist is someone who gets paid to to kind of get their facts straight. I'm I'm co- totally cool, by the way, with the kitten meowing at the door. I think it adds a little texture. I think it the, adds. Yeah. I think it adds um, almost gravitas to what we're doing. You know, yes, cats yes. want to hang out with cool people. So, yeah. Um, yeah so journalists get paid to um, to get their facts straight. Mm. Um, whereas I'm a columnist, so uh, I kind of get I get paid to have an opinion. Editorial like, columnist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, like a storyteller. Yep. You know, I'm. I, um, yes, it's important that I get the facts as right as I can. But I, I'm more about, um, you know, getting to, um, more about showing off the the personalities of the of the people in this business that I meet and come across, and uh, and to you know talk you, about different styles. Are and, you a professional broadcaster? Would you say? Because I would. Say, you know, well, a professional gone... broadcaster would imply, um, Dan, that you get paid to broadcast, <laughs> doesn't it? Isn't that what the word means? Um, and I I do not get paid to broadcast anything so i don't get paid to go on national radio i don't get paid to do the tv thing back up a little bit so do a little (laughs) national radio maybe we won't put you know we won't try to categorize do you want me to kind of bullet point what i do sure all right that's a good idea (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm the um, the wine editor for Dish Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have two major food and wine titles in this country. There's Dish Magazine and there's Cuisine Magazine. So I'm I've been with Dish for about ten years now. Mm-hmm. Then I'm the wine columnist for Canvas, which is the New Zealand Herald's Saturday magazine. Yep. Um, which is huge, a huge newspaper. I write a wine column that is a separate wine column that's syndicated out to about a dozen regional newspapers around the country. So what you read here in Hawke's Bay is very similar to what, you know, people all over the country and different regions will see. Um, I've been doing that since about 2003, so a long time. Um, Only sort of had one break in that that time. Um, I... For the last seven years, I've had a semi-regular spot on Radio New Zealand National. So we started with Jim Mora in the afternoons and then that went to Simon Mercep and now it's Jesse Mulligan. Um, and, you know, I did um, stuff on Radio Live and last year was really cool. Got to do a bit of morning television with the on the Paul Henry show, mm. so doing a bit of wine because he's bit really of, into wine. A and then of a character, that guy. Yeah, too. yeah. That was, that, was, that was fun. That was really interesting. And um, <laughs> That <yeah>. guy's <laughs> – he said some. He's like uh, one of the guys when I first got to New Zealand. I'm he's like, wow, he they TV's a little different yeah. here than, than in America. He's a know. classic human. He's 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 great. So you know he's very polarizing though. But I I, I, I really I, like I him. I think he's hilarious. He's great. And um, but that was a kind of learning curve. You know, getting to getting your head around the fact that yes, you're on live television, but you're also on live radio. Yeah. So you know, you just like this, you can't take yourself too far away from the microphone, and then you have to make sure that you've got your right angles and everything's all good. Um. So, yeah, so that's the radio side of things. And for the last six years, uh, I've been producing a, a TV show called Thirsty Work, which is... Um, which is how I met, yeah. Actually. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. That, that's how we met. And um, so that's a... It's kind of like a, a liquid country calendar, you know. So it's yeah. not me mincing about the countryside, you know, telling people how to drink wine. It's it's me um, kind of introducing the, the viewers to, you know, the the... The farmers, the pioneers, the innovators, the grape growers, the winemakers, the people behind the scenes, the people in front of the scenes, you mm. know, that kind of make, that slake the thirst of the nation pretty much. So that's, um, yeah, so we started out on Food TV, which is a Sky TV channel, mm. and we were on TV3 last year, and hopefully... Can anybody, can you get that overseas, like if somebody wanted to watch it online or anything um, like that? I think you can. Well, it's it's on TV3 On Demand. Okay. Three On Demand, so you can you can look it up there. Um we have an overseas distributor. We have a distributor in the states who's um, um, managed to circulate the you know previous series on mm. channels all over the world, which has been really cool. Cool. But you know, people can just email me, and I'll I'll send them a link to a Vimeo um, channel that they can have a look at. Cool. That's cool. It's easy. Yeah, we'll easy done. It. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do, and I I judge it um, a lot of the shows, the wine shows around the country. And, yeah. Mm. I see some photos of your nose in a glass. Every yeah. Often. <laughs> I know. So cliched. Eh? So I, keep, I keep going. God, let's 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 have a different kind of photo. But then it's like, what do you? What else do you do? Yeah. You yeah. Know, Standing there in front of thousands <laughs> of glasses, or yeah. your nose in a glass. And, yeah. And things. So. Um, well, anyway, that's good. You're back in Hawke's Bay. Yes. And uh, you're enjoying it, obviously, but you're uh, still traveling a lot. Yeah, I travel a lot. So um, I'm actually at the moment where I'm on a kind of series of roadshows with um, my business partner, Debbie Sutton. We have a business called winefriend.co.nz, which is really cool. Um, sort of uh, individual palette based um, wine subscription 
um, service that we have, and and that's really fun. But um, you know, you've got to you've you've got to travel. And in my line of work, yeah. even though my columns, sadly, aren't. I don't have as many words as I used to, you know, the newspapers are all kind of condensing yeah. and everyone's being told to cut this and cut that. So, you know, I've only got a couple of hundred words each week to play with, but um, if you're not, if you don't put yourself out there and get to learn what companies are doing, what producers are doing, what's going on, what's what's kind of happening, then you're really just, um, you know, yeah, it's all very pedestrian. You're faking, it. You're you're faking, faking it. it. Yeah, yeah you kind of, yeah. you kind of are. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's my, my take on it. But it's hard, you know, because I've got a you know, I've got kids and, and I've got to try and keep my house in order. I know my business and I keep know. to all my deadlines. So it's intense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Everyone thinks it's a very glamorous. Well, job, I think uh, it's um, not. you know, I would probably wouldn't have you sit down and talk with you. I didn't think you could be authentic, you know what I mean? <laughs> because I saw it firsthand, but you're also, uh, I would say, honest about things. Like, you know, even if you read your column, it's like, hey, this is like this, but if mm. you like, you know, you're, if there's something you didn't like about it, you yep. would just say, like, I don't really like this about it, but this is part's cool. And, oh, yeah. yeah. You know. Well, that's that's it. I mean, it's one of those situations where I'm not I'm not out to kind of bag anyone yeah. on purpose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But and I always think about the kind of human being that would like a particular wine, unless it's riddled with faults, unless it's a bad wine. Yeah. Full stop. It may not necessarily be, you know, um, nectar of the gods to me, but there might be someone who maybe has leans towards that kind of food or leans towards that sort of style of stuff. And I think, well, maybe they would like it. So yes, if you like your Pinot, you know, with, with super high acidity, or if yes, yeah. if you like your Pinot Gris a little bit soapy, then yeah, you might like this. Mm. Um, that's kind of how it, how it rolls for me. I try and, I try and give people ideas about what's good to drink mm. at the end of the week, you know, as opposed to filling up a couple of hundred words with what's, what's terrible. Uh, I'm sorry if I don't remember, but for I guess for a wine friend and some of your columns, mm. do you do a lot of stuff from imported wines too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, a I, lot. I, I know. You, I thought you have, I've read some of your imported wine reviews. Yeah, yeah. So people, um, just to to give you some idea, I mean, I yeah, it's about three dozen wines a week that I would see that would come over my desk. Um, that's unsolicited. Um, it's a it's a lot of wine, and that's maybe I would say maybe eighty. 80% New Zealand, yeah, but a lot of imported wines, and, and that's great. It's getting like, better. Yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I get such joy when I get a box of, of samples and there'll be wines from the likes of Lebanon or, um, you know, Portugal or Austria or California or wherever, you know. And California, no way. Yeah, way. <laughs> so more and more, <laughs> I know, there's lots of that There's lots of that stuff coming in and some of it's good. Um, but I think, I think Kiwi's... We're we're great for trying new things, you know. We yeah. we're fiercely loyal, but we're also we're, we're brave, you know. We want to try different wines from around the world. We and certainly travel enough. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Not afraid exactly. to get on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a great thing that um, that our wine industry that we have distributors and importers in this country now that that are bringing in really interesting, really interesting wines, and they're affordable. You yeah, know, I just got a. I don't know if I can give them a plug, but the. Was it Maison Veron, the French yeah. importer? I just yeah. got a ridiculous 
package of Rhone and Southern France stuff yeah. that I had no idea was even in New Zealand. They are know. so good in that store. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really good. I'm constantly trawling through their online catalog and saying, oh, can you send me one of these? Can you send me one of those? In a couple weeks, I'm going to be stopping by. Because don't they have like a cheese and yeah, charcuterie shop? Fromagerie and yes. charcuterie. And, yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's great. And it's always heaving with people. So I bet, um, yeah. yeah, and that's downstairs. So you kind of have to walk, um, make your way through the heaving tables of, of people indulging in the great food and then you head upstairs to the wine shop. I think it's funny about New Zealand that I've noticed, uh, you know, being an outsider, which I think is an advantage in a lot of ways, particularly for something like this because I have a different curiosity and mm. don't take certain things for granted. But when you do have a really smart, good business in New Zealand, it it's – you know, people respond to it really oh, well. Oh, they do. And, uh, and it's just sort of getting over the hump of like, you know, can you do this? Oh, well, nobody's really done that before. And it's like, well, it's pretty young country. <laughs> it's That's pretty it. <laughs> and I think, I think Kiwis, Kiwis in business are great at just saying, when people say, can you do this? Hmm. Is this possible? We go, yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we kind of squirrel ourselves away and figure out how to do it later. Because, we, yeah, we, we don't like to say, oh, it's not, oh, it's going to be too hard. We yeah. just go, sure. Yeah. And, f yeah. And figure it out. Figure it out later on. I've done a lot of that yeah. working for some winemakers <laughs> in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, and I think people, I think it's quite an endearing feature. I think that's why people from overseas like like dealing with Kiwis because, yeah. you know, we, we make it happen. We make th we make things work. It may not necessarily work perfectly, but we'll give it a good start. Yeah, and Hawks Bay, for as far as wine goes, we're like, yeah, we can grow that. Sure. And, and that. And, that's, you know. the, that's interesting that you say that, Dan, because, um, you know, for years and years, and I think it's actually still going on, you know, that um, people have been saying, what is Hawks Bay? You know, yeah. what, is the, what is Hawks Bay's signature variety? You know, because you've got to have one. Your Marlborough's got Sauvignon Blanc and Central Otago's got Pinot Noir and, you know, Nelson have got the aromatics thing kind of cornered. What What is Hawke's Bay? Yeah, but I mean, even the old region's the same. It's yeah, like, I am. Um, but for me personally, whenever I'm talking about Hawke's Bay and what I love about it, I'm like, it's the ultimate wine region. There is nothing you can't grow here. Mm. There's really? a lot of great sites. There's great sites all over. It just takes a bit of extra work and you're not necessarily going to be able to grow mountains of it because, mm. you know, it's it's still, it's just Hawke's Bay. Sorry, I've just tapped the microphone. I'm sure it's fine. Going. I'm sure it's fine. Um, yeah, it's the ultimate wine region. You can grow anything here and you can grow anything pretty darn well. I mean, we have beautiful, beautiful, delicate, sparkling wines being produced here. You know, and then you have these amazing um, aromatics and, and big, grunty, robust reds and, and Chardonnay that you just, you know, yeah. want to swim around in and, and, you know, take your dying gulp of, you know. it's And then you have beautiful dessert wines and everything in between. So yeah, yeah. It's, it makes it, it's great, but it also makes things tricky marketing makes wise. it a little tricky when I go overseas to sell um, Hawke's Bay mm. reds. I've almost tried to, like, pick a couple things to do but for instance when i go over and sell the paratua and stone paddock stuff mm. it's like i kind of knew off this outset like well, let's try syrah first because i think people can get their head around that pretty easy and then the blends sort of later Come but later. i really i do think we got to stop calling them bordeaux blends and just call them hawks bay blends or yeah you know yeah. because uh first of all people are putting syrah in there anyway and doing all kinds of stuff so but it is a little tougher and i think that market's a little um, more crowded, you I know, agree. when you go to the U S yeah. uh, you know, you have Italy, France, Spain, California, 
South America, South America to compete with, yeah. and, and Syrahs like we don't we don't make a lot of it anyway, so we might as well. Uh, yeah, I agree. With you sell too. it all there. Yep. But um, no, it is good to as far as being like somebody who enjoys drinking wine and different stuff. I can go into my cellar from my wine swaps from my friends and be like, oh, I could have a straight crab franc tonight. I can have you a, can have a Melbic yeah, if you like, you know. Could, yeah. Oh, there's a Hawks Bay Pinot in here, you know. It's <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, it can be all over the place. Yeah. but It's a smorgasbord. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's a, uh, a good thing. And then I guess the other thing is trying to get people here where we're not always on the the beaten path of the typical tourist coming no, through. No, but it know? is it is easier now. Um, I think. I think in the last decade, it yeah. is it is really it's improved it's a lot. Really since I improved, got here. and I mean, yeah. even even before then, um, back in certainly when I moved back to Hawke's Bay from from Auckland in 1998, um, a that was an amazing vintage. You know, it was it, it, you Good couldn't make show a up. huge summer. You couldn't you couldn't make a bad wine. It was it was intense. But that kind of coincided with the whole rebranding of Hawke's Bay from what was the fruit bowl of New Zealand. Because, you know, growing up in Hawke's Bay during the, um, you know, 70s and, and 80s, it was all about orchards and farms. Yep. You know, orchards and farms. So it's the fruit bowl, right? And um, so, you know, thanks to um, people like uh, Graham Avery at Cellini and, and Kim Thorpe, who was the um, who was with Saatchi and Saatchi Wellington at the time, which was it was named like top five, one of the world's top five advertising agencies. He and his friend Andy Coltart had just had bought Lombardi wines in Havelock, were turning that into Black Barn. They were integral in um, rebranding Hawke's Bay to wine country. Yep. And then, um, you know, the farmer's markets kind of kicked in and Hawke's Bay went from being this orchards and farms, orchards and farms, to suddenly being a cuisine destination. You know, the um, the the wine scene in the late nineties and right into the early two thousands just really, it was like this sort of tsunami of great taste, you know. And you had wineries opening cellar doors all over the show. Um, those cellar doors then started offering food, you know. And it might have been something as really simple as a just a platter, you know, and a pasto or whatever. Mm. And but then you'd have full fledged restaurants, and it just it became um, a place. A, where the locals began to feel really proud, we, we kind of felt a little bit flash. Yep. You know, a little bit stylish, yeah. a little bit sophisticated. It was kind of cool, you know. And then we'd ring our mates in Auckland and say, come on down for the yeah. weekend and, you know, we'll get the Wellington people up. And and it was just, whereas before that, it was just like, where would we take people? What would we do? Where would we go? Yeah, Let's like just not bother. Places, yeah. yeah, so suddenly there was this eruption of, of great... Um, you know, food and wine establishments, and, and there was stuff to do, mm. and everything kind of became quite styly, and and it, that's only just gotten um, more and more momentum. Um, with now we have you know the the fork um, seasons, you know the food and wine classic events, um, which have just catapulted Hawke's Bay into this realm of you yeah, know it's super an cuisine. I can't believe how many events very there cool, are and you know people from all over the country and and. And from overseas are they now coming into Hawke's Bay on job. purpose. Yeah, they do a great job yeah. of marketing that. And yeah. you'd be crazy. You're, everybody's a part of it. Everyone's I, I, a part of it. I don't even know it's who's, awesome. not, who's yeah. not a part of it these days. Yeah. Like as far as I, I almost see every friend and producer I know is doing something with yeah. it. And uh, you'd be crazy not to. And the great thing about it is even though it's really sophisticated and it's, it's marketed really well, this whole event, you know, you've got the summer 
food and wine events and then you've got the winter food and wine events. It's not, I don't know, am I allowed to use this word on a podcast? You it's can not, use any word It's you not want. wanky. Yeah. Oh, you, you, can do, oh, you can use words. Wanky's all right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, um, It's yes, it looks, sl- the, the image of these events is very slick and very polished, but they're not, it's not wanky. They're, they're very accessible. Um, they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, they're fun. They're, they're fun. fun. Yeah, they're fun events. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's that's a great thing. And of course, it can only help when Hawkes Bay wine growers um, taps into when we have major international wine media here for the likes of, say, the Pinot Conference, and um, uh, just to kind of bring them in and show them what Hawkes Bay has to offer, and then they're, you know, Off they're the out and telling the world, which is cool. And um, I have a lot to do with um, really high-end, quite wealthy people that come into Hawke's Bay um, and they're from, mostly from the States, actually, you know, a few from Europe, but mostly from the States. They come into Hawke's Bay as part of their New Zealand kind of tour, but they're, they're not in New Zealand to go bungee jumping or go no. ho- on hobbit trails or anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not here to do that. They no. come into New Zealand because they want to go – golfing they want to go golfing they want to fish for trout they want to do wine and food you know or hunt or hunt yeah maybe ride a horse maybe ride a horse but predominantly they just want to you know golf food wine um fish and and they go to these amazing luxury lodges and they've they've already done their research about new zealand they know hawks bay is a premium destination they know what varieties to, to look for and um and they're prepared to pay, yeah. you know, a lot of money for, for for great experiences here in this region. And they go and do the same thing down in central Otago and um, or you know up north. And it's it's very cool that we get those travellers. But I don't it's think the government improved, talks about those kind yeah, of travellers. I, I think it's improved probably something like fivefold since I mm. got here in two thousand eight, where I would run into uh, a lot of people in the three or four different cellar doors I had worked over the first few years here, and they would say, yeah, first time we came to New Zealand, we, we only spent like two days in Hawke's Bay, and this time we come back for two weeks, or this yeah. next time we come back, we're just coming to Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Because, uh, and it is that particular uh, demographic that you're talking about, you know, yeah. you're still going to get maybe the kids and backpackers and adventure oh, yeah. type. They're just going to pass is, through. Yeah, they pass through. But, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit older or a little bit, you know, more established. Even some of the young professionals that I've met, yeah. like in, the, you know, the kind of 30s and 40s that have a few bucks that are want to do a nice holiday, they come through and they're like, wait a minute, I should be here longer. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you need to lock away at least a week or so. And I think it's, mm. uh, you know, because of the ocean and, you know, there is there obviously all the wineries and everything. Yeah. And it's a it's such a different experience than going to like Queenstown or something, you yeah. know, which is just really very touristy and very touristy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it is all those things added up, like mm. the, the markets and yeah. just kind of But it's very, yeah, I think Hawke's Bay is very unforced. Yes, that's a you know, good, that's good way to put it. That's what I love about Hawke's Bay and certainly the people that um, that I come across that, you know, from other countries that have spent time here, they just love Hawke's Bay. They, they think it's a, a very, very pure, very accurate kind of um, indicator of New Zealand as a whole and that we're very much very cool with what we do. We, and there's history here. Great yeah. history. I mean, mm. Im- Im- immense history in, in Hawke's Bay. And it's just it's just groovy. The climate's great. 
People are good. We're very yeah, we're like a, say, a pretty nice uh, late autumn day today. Mm. Almost winter and yeah, you know, looking out the 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 your studio. Oh yes, my uh, second floor your, studio <laughs> here. <laughs> your terrace studio yes. with the with the very lovely earthy colours on the leaves and the yes. vines are starting to get a bit naked on it, which is cool. Um, what have you? I just thought of this randomly, but what? What's what have you tasted lately that's got you pretty excited? Anything new? I mean, besides decibel. I mean, if you want to go. Oh, because you know when you taste decibel wines, there's, there's no going back. Yeah, really, is there? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, what am I what am I tasting at the moment that I really love that that's kind of spinning my wheels? Um, I'm all over barrel fermented Sauvignon Blancs. Love my barrel fermented okay. Sauvignon. Yeah. Um, I know a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm big on those and I and it's kind of a mission of mine to you know get people to that say that they're not Sauvignon drinkers to just try a barrel fermented example you know because it's it's just a different beast altogether so I'm big on I'm big on barrel fermented Sauvignons um that goes well in Hawks Bay mm, too we, yeah it really suits it here um it does and I think that's where Hawks Bay needs to do more of it and I've um you know, I've, I've long kind of campaigned for the Hawke's Bay, you know, regional wine awards to have a separate category for barrel fermented Sauvignon styles as opposed to a generic Sauvignon Blanc category. Yeah, I think all you'd have to do is put a different price point for yeah. it, for, the, <laughs> for the category or yeah, something. Yeah, but the yeah. problem is, you know, you get, you get judges from other regions or other countries and, and their, their vision of what they think Sauvignon Blanc should be is not necessarily what Sauvignon Blanc is in Hawke's Bay, you know, you're not going to get that capsicum and cat's pea and, yeah. you know, basil and tomato stalk and passion fruit character so much as, as say, Marlborough example, you know. Well, to give some of our listeners an idea, I think Paratua's Grace, which is a barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc, has been twice sent back from export certification because <laughs> they thought it was Chardonnay. Exactly, exactly. So, it's uh, Sauvignon for Chardonnay drinkers. Yeah, so that's exactly... Uh, I'm I'm the same. I will drink those yeah. as well. And uh, but that being said, when I'm you know it tends to be when I'm in the states and out at a restaurant or tasting what people have going by the glass. Um, yeah, I'm always surprised by what Marlboros out there, you mm. know, um, and and the good ones. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it was Lisa Prati Brown made a really really good point in. Uh, like two years ago, she did a real big New Zealand write-up. She and did, yeah. She wrote that, uh, I just thought it was put perfectly. She just said, you know, there's some things that are so exciting about New Zealand wine, and then there's uh, Pinot Gris. <laughs> she just knocked <laughs> Pinot Gris, and she basically uh. just said, like, you know, the styles are just so all over the place, and some people are making it so cheap that it's like, what's the point? Mm. Whereas with Sauvignon Blanc, even the cheapest ones have character and they're yeah. interesting, you know, and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. I don't know if I could drink a whole bottle of that, but yeah. it's pretty interesting. It's so. true. It is. It is really true. But I think she's been really unfair on Pinot Gris. I, I agree. But, oh, look, you know, but yeah. there's some awesome ones, but I've got, you yeah. got to think of, she's probably got like, you know, 60 of them yeah. in front of her and yeah, there's yeah. probably like eight or 10 that are awesome or maybe not even bother to send to her because people like me and you bought it all up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, it's an interesting, yeah, Pinot Gris is an interesting thing. You know, I know people that absolutely won't won't touch the stuff. You know, uh, people in, in in the media, you know, people in wine that won't touch the stuff, which mm. I just think is crazy. But, um, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, I could probably count the Pinot Gris that I actually enjoyed maybe on one hand. Mm. But 
now, like, I just absolutely uh, – I I actually like Pinot Gris, but it's because Pinot Gris got better. Yeah. You know, New Zealand yeah. winemakers have, have got their heads around it. Our grape growers have got their heads around it. Now we know what we're capable of and and you get beautiful, clean um, it suits aromatic the, it, styles. Yeah, it, it suits, suits this country. But yeah. um, I think the problem with con- at consumer level is that everyone – gets told you should be drinking Pinot Gris. It's the thing to drink. So everyone goes to the supermarket and they they look at the Pinot Gris shelf and they go, oh, I'll take that one because it's covered in metals, you know. Um, But they don't – and then they get it home and they pour it and it's too dry. And they think that that's that's what Pinot Gris all tastes like. Instead of of going back and trying a different one, which might have a little more RS and Mm. be a little bit more – you know, voluptuous and, and appealing, and then that might be for them. So that's their style. So I think it's the the poor old consumer is a bit confused by Pinot Gris because mm. there's so many different styles. Like Lisa Perotti Brown says, there's like this kind of smorgasbord, like this massive continuum of and styles and quality levels. Too. And quality levels. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are there is some there is some total dross out there. And and there's there's actually really good quality for mm. really affordable. Yeah. And then you buy something of the same price and you're like, what happened here? Exactly. It's just like lolly water or something. Yeah, you know? it's a very tricky style to get your head around. But I'm a, I'm a fan of Pinot Gris now. I'm okay with saying that. I feel oh, strong. I, I've always been. It, <laughs> it made it, it, it was a moment where it made it like it was a bit of a flash in the pan in the mm. States when I was running my family's restaurant in like the early 2000s. And it came in heavy mm. from the, from Europe, like Austria and obviously yep, Alsace, Alsace and, yep. and and it was like, oh, this is almost like you could tell there was a, a movement behind it, almost like there was for Malbec and Shiraz, yep. Malbec from South, you know, from Argentina. And I was like, oh, well, I guess everybody's going to be pouring Pinot Gris now, and then it just kind of went away, and it was strange. Mm. Um, and I don't know why Pinot Gris. I think everybody in the states, like you know, it had there was this history that they didn't account for of cheap Pinot Grigio yeah. from Italy and California. And that just, they just sort of butted heads with the quality and uh, richness that you were getting from even Italian. There was some good Italian Pinot Gris as well. Yeah. So uh, it's just funny how the industry can work and how what wines work and what takes off and yeah. how long it stays. And, you uh. know, I don't know that... You know, Malbec has the staying power and, in the States that I don't know no, why, you know, because no. it's easy to say and it's cool to say, I well, guess. Well, you know, I mean, look at what's happening with Moscato yeah. in the States. Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. who would have thought? Yeah, well, that's price. <laughs> that's definitely price driven. But, you know, I, I get excited when I go to the U.S. because there's the wine bars and Psalm scene is just, mm. it's really, really good. And it's not like you're overpaying for it. We yeah. went to like a burger place in Manhattan. And they had a psalm, and there was like amazing wines, like from southern France and Rhone. Every, every burger wine you could want to have with it, and there was a psalm in the place. Well, see, know? that's what we need in New Zealand. You know, <laughs> we 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 are slowly catching on, and we we need more. We need more psalm. You know, we need more psalm driven um, wine lists at, at every level. Yeah, because you don't have to be. You don't have to be a super super high end restaurant just to have someone who knows their shit. Yeah, you know, there to help people choose and learn that's half the battle i mean that's yeah i think any good psalm is excited when he's like i found a gem for like that i can pour by the glass yeah yeah at like 12 dollars a glass or 10 or whatever and just yeah. and it. sell it yeah actually sell that idea you don't even need to be a psalm you know and you just need to be, be passionate passionate yeah, about yeah. it you know you just need to be someone who is is um who who is 
is able to communicate what's good about that wine and why it should go with that dish or that dish or you know and and but also restaurateurs need to get their heads away from the whole oh no offering wine by the glass there's wastage it's going to be there's going to be too much waste no the more wines you have available by the glass the more wine people will buy and if it gets to the end of the night and you've got half a bottle of such and such a Pinot Gris or such and such a Viognier or a Gewürztraminer or whatever and you're thinking oh no I'm gonna waste it just go and tell everyone in the restaurant say oh, I've just got we've got half a bottle of this here why don't we do glasses for you know glass of it for eight dollars mm. you know only got one bottle left who wants it cool and it's gone you've made money you've exposed people to a new style that maybe they would never normally try for themselves it's this we we really need to get our heads in this country around glass pours yeah and yeah. more of them at every level of restaurant mm. i think uh, yeah but then you know um, sometimes that's too hard basket for the restaurateurs themselves and that's where the people in the trade you know the sales reps and um, even wineries themselves need to kind of well get that's getting and, you know it reminds me of something i said earlier talk about something <clears> that it's improved fivefold my first few jobs, you know, because I grew up in a restaurant, was working for winery restaurants. And my experience, I was, like, hired immediately. I mm. had, like, th- interviews at the top three places. And and, uh, and luckily I chose Tiawa at the time because yep. that's where I met Jenny. And that really helped my, you know, winemaking career. But I couldn't believe uh, how, uh, you know, for the first few years I was here, how underpaid and not taken seriously the hospo side of things were and you know you get these part-time kids doing it and you know and people don't expect a certain level of service and Mm. then you know but that has improved a lot it's definitely improved and uh, i remember um years ago this is before i went before we went to went to christchurch um um i was really heartened to get a phone call from um a woman called jennifer lecomte who owned a cafe called opera kitchen in hastings sure and uh, she called me and said, you know, um, she wanted me, to, if I had time, to, to pop in, bring some wines um, in to taste with her staff. You know, so the baristas and the waitresses and the waiters and, and the, the kitchen team and that, just come and sit down and, and try some wine. And Yvonne, can you, you know, maybe... Um, give them some pointers. Give them some pointers yeah, about yeah. how to sell this wine and why, why this particular style goes with this particular style of food and yada, yada. And I thought... How great is that, that, that uh, the owner of the establishment has has thought about that and, and, and knows that if her staff are upskilled, then that can only mean... Um, Pretty simple. Yeah, but, but great, great sales. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I just wish more people would do that. And, and certainly when I have been, uh, you know, I used to run cellar doors and things like that back in the day. And the first thing we did, whenever there was a new wine, is you got everyone together, you tasted it, you looked at the menu, you talked about why, you know, how the wine works really well with this and this and this, you know, what are some features of the wine, what what are some little nuggets of knowledge about that wine that you can tell your tables, you know. Yeah, give, me, give me a selling point. Away well, you go. Why am I drinking this wine? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's... Um, it's it's a great thing. So we are. I, I think New Zealand overall is is improving, but there's a a lot of work to do. I think. So is that how was that your intro to the industry, working in tasting rooms and things like that? Uh, no. Well, my actually my 
introduction to the industry on a professional level as in you know getting paid to do anything involving wine was when I was still living in Auckland a friend of mine owned a um, sort of like a temping agency which uh, and she was friends with um, the people at Glengarry's who a guy called Mark Young at Glengarry's at the time and uh, he wanted people to do in-store tastings and um she knew I enjoyed wine. I mean, I I have enjoyed wine ever since I was a little kid. I just love the stuff. I think mm. I've always thought wine is really cool and yeah, really yeah. Fun, really tasty. Smells, Smells nice. nice. Tastes <laughs> nice. Um, and you know, she knew I could string a sentence together, and that I was reasonably. I you know I was doing advertising sales for BFM, which was a student radio station at the time. So she knew I could sell stuff. Yeah. Um, so she was like, "Come, you know, do you want to earn a bit of cash? Come and do some in-store tastings for." And it was Sacred Hill at the time, you know, um, in Auckland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I started doing. You know, a couple of hours on a Friday night, or or you know, Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, it, it kind of got me into researching wine. Um, you know, I'd go on to Netscape Navigator. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah, I know. I'm showing my age there. Um, and Dial up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dial up some tasting sheets and things or a little story about the winery or the or the people involved in the wine, and then I'd take my pieces of paper off to Wait the tasting. Wait five minutes for a JPEG to yeah. up on the screen <laughs> of the bottle shot, you know? And I really loved it. You know, I really – I felt like when I was talking about the wines to customers and, and – and, you know, asking them about what they were smelling and what they were tasting, and then, you know, telling a story. I felt, I felt some like some kind of like I had a vested stake in the success of the company, you yeah, know, and I wanted sure. them to do well. And so I did did a few of those, and and um, and then ended up, you know, back in back in Hawkes Bay, and yeah, just tasting room stuff and cellar door mixing things, it up. mixing it up, and and I um. I got a job at Havelock North Wines and Spirits, which was an amazing shop, a very, very cool wine store um, in Havelock North. Um, yeah, not not long after I'd moved back to Hawke's Bay and Richard Gregory, um, the late Richard Gregory was the owner there and he used to, A, he just had a huge energy for New Zealand wine, but he would import, I mean, we had Petrus and, you know, the feet, we had Art Series Margot. It was very cool. So he would bring in heavyweight wines from around the world and sell them yep. in a little shop in Havelock North. And he taught me a huge amount about wine. And it was great because there were there were moments there that, um, you know, I remember Steve Smith, you, you know, Master of Wine, coming in one day with a bottle, like an empty bottle, but it had a label on it. And he goes, Yvonne, this is this cool thing. We, we, we've got this winery and it's, we're going to call it Craggy Range and this is what our logo is going to be like and, and and can I just put it on the shelf amongst the other bottles just to see if it's got, you know, shelf appeal. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. And, we st- and I just remember standing there beside him going, yeah, it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, it looks cool. That fits in. That fits in. It's groovy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was really exciting yeah, for me yeah. because, you know, of course we all know what the the the, the massive awesome thing Craigie Range became yep. over the following years. And I remember, um, um, you know, the, the very first bottle of Viognier I ever saw was um, was Timata, Zara Viognier. You know, they came mm. in... It, you know, put it on the shelf. I'm like, what is this? And they're like, wow, you know, let's crack open open a bottle and taste it. Wow, crazy. The very first one they made was the very first one I ever tasted and I just fell in love with that whole style right then and there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it's really cool. really cool and great winemakers would come through the doors and there'd be this chitty chat and um, you know you'd learn what was going on in the you know in the industry and they'd, they'd be doing tastings and you'd hear them talk about their own wines and you'd you know be you'd, notes you'd be, the uh, yeah because yeah. I was very nerdy and and of course then I started um, I enrolled in, in Roseworthy's wine marketing program as well so that was kind of the first intake of external students so were you able to do you do that here or did you have to yeah so here? I was able to to do it they they let me in um, providing I could that I could prove I was living and working in a premium wine region in a, in, in a wine capacity. So um, Auckland didn't cut it, but Hawke's Bay was, they were happy for me to be living in Hawke's Bay and working in a wine store and doing freelance kind of wine work for producers around here while, while studying. So I did, um, yeah, took four years. And cool. did their wine marketing, yeah, diploma, which is awesome. I kind of feel like you're definitely not like, you look younger than you must be because you're saying all this experience. And I'm like, well, when the heck was I was that? 11. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. No, I, well, I'm old enough to remember the days of Vital Estate, like Vitals in, in St. Albans Street being like this. I always hear stories. Massive party yeah. place. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got, I guess I would have been. You don't have to tell us your No, I don't. I'm just trying to think of when. <laughs> no, but I've, I've, it's been 20 years. I've been in this business 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've been involved in other industries. I mean, I had my own business in Auckland. I had a voiceover agency as well as working for TVNZ and BFM and all these other things. Um, but wine was always in the background. Wine was kind of what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't want, necessarily want to make it. Yep. Because I'm shit at chemistry. I'm, <laughs> I know that I would never get past Chem 101. Um, but I just, I love everything about it. I love stories. I love wine stories. And so I knew there had to be a place for me telling wine stories in some capacity. And no, that's kind of what I've built it into. You do a, a good job of, uh, I don't know, being that medium between. Because uh, I've shown uh, Thirsty Work to some friends overseas. Oh, and cool. Everybody's, oh, she's pleasant. That's nice. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, pleasant. Yeah, she's that's cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> I, I always, you know, I, you know, I've always dabbled this i want to do this more uh, a little bit more and i think probably i can i'll go a little geekier and yeah. a little little roar in, in depth yeah. and stuff and i want it to be a little more long form for the you know the really interested in the psalm and people yeah. like that but other people as well won't get too yeah. crazy but i think it's really tough to ride that line of being like informative but not too in depth no you, then you don't want to get too geeky yeah but then, then fun, you want to and then not like but not jokey like no. there's a lot of douchey kind of like jokey kind of like hey we're just here drinking wine and yeah, blah blah isn't blah isn't that such know? bullshit yeah. it just makes me want to scoop my eyes out with a spoon <laughs> when i see shit like that um and there's a lot of those youtubers mm. that that do that and um i just i just i just want to gag i hate watching that stuff but but then again i i, I don't like it i like I can feel my own eyes glaze over sometimes when I'm listening to or watching, you know, certain industry people talk and present and that kind of thing. So it is, you're right. How do you get that balance between being um, informative and entertaining um, and so that people leave feeling as though that they want to taste something? You know, I just want to go and buy that, taste it, yeah. learn about it, um, get involved, you know. so I think it's authenticity yeah. and I think uh, – mm. Certainly, I don't think it's an accident that my favorite wines, you know, if I just look at Hawke's Bay, 
my favorite wines tend to come from winemakers who are also interesting people and like yeah. are into other things too. Yeah, they're I agree. Like, they're like, they know their music or they're into the arts or they're just yeah. like cool people. And for whatever reason, they might be into something else. Yeah. So that when they, and it not only does it translate to their wine, but when they go out and sell it, people are like, well, he's just like a cool guy who like yeah, is talented, who does stuff. who's talented <laughs> and he does stuff, you know? And like, I actually talked about his wine for five minutes, but then I was talking to him about, you know. Yeah, he flies planes yeah, or, he's, yeah. or he breeds, I don't know. Yeah, he's got a farm or crazy things. Or, I don't know. But a lot of it, I, I, it does seem to be the artistic mind as well. Mm. But, you know, you might be talking about a rugby match or something with the guy, you know, too. So Or the woman. Exactly. You know? And if that's so... Here's a funny thing, right? So, you know, back to the thirsty work thing. Like, you know, we'd go and we'd meet the families or the winemakers and then we'd, we'd talk about the wines, taste some wines, we'd cook some food and, you know, we we um, we find out a little bit about their personalities and the stories and, and everything. And then inevitably, after it's that a particular episode's gone to air, yeah, I'll be walking down the street or I'll be in the supermarket or something, and, and someone will come up to me holding a bottle of wine, maybe from one of the, the producers that we've, you know, interviewed on the show, and they'll come up and they'll go, Yvonne, Yvonne, this is the wine. This is the wine that, that was made by the lady with the dog. Yeah. You know, the little white dog. Yeah. I've got a dog like that. Yeah. Oh, my dog's name is Blah, you yeah, know, yeah, um, yeah. Jessie, but her dog's name was Lassie. And, but, you know, she makes this wine, so I'm going to buy this wine. And you yeah. think, so you're buying the wine because you identify with, dog that yep. that lady has and the hay yeah. that's cool if that's your connection if that's mm. if that's if that's what what got you over the line to to branch out and try that little boutique brand as opposed to you know your stock standard mm. thing then hey all, all power to you that is that's cool yep. you know they they bought it for that reason they didn't buy it because you know it's um you know, all Mendoza clone, a full no, no, MLF, no. indigenous ferment, aged for a million years and, you know, freaking acacia or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's that's the thing. You, people will form a connection, whether it's because they watch it on TV or because they listen to something like this or because they've, you know, there's a quote in a in a wine review or an article that just resonated with them. It doesn't necessarily have to be because of the techie details or... The, yeah, the, no, the, definitely the is, history of prestige of the place. It's not about that necessarily. Trust me, most people have ever bought my wine are like, oh, yeah, that's that guy from Philly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Funny. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Um, right. Well, we just yeah. did 50-some minutes that quick. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, I should probably go. I've, um, I've got editors screaming at me, calling me a useless lump of cat's meat because I haven't got – Bottle Tell them you're doing big stuff. shot podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're like, that's cool. The big shot podcast is yeah. fine, but make sure yeah. you know five p.m. Before you go, uh, website people way to oh, contact you. Yes. Uh, okay, all that I'm kind the of easiest stuff. person in the world to contact. I swear to God, I'm going to be. This is going to sound really morbid. I'll end up being stabbed in an alley somewhere because I've told everyone where I'm going all of the time. Um, A thirsty work stalker. I know, I know. Uh, So my website is yvonnelorkin.com. So really easy, Y-V-O-N-N-E-L-O-R-K-I-N.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also get hold of me through uh, Um And that's really cool. It's a groovy little 
Yeah, you guys out there should check that out. I'll do it. It's really fun. I'll probably, when I intro and outro. But yeah, I mean, you can email me at Yvonne at YvonneLawkin.com. Pretty easy. You just just Google Google me and, you know, my... Just shout out. Phone number is right there. Just show up at a wine event <laughs> yeah. in Hawks Bay and you'll be there. Yeah, I, I'm, it's very easy to get hold of me. And honestly, you know, if um, if anyone has any questions about anything at all involved in, you know, anything at all about wine, about, you know, what it's like living in Hawke's Bay and being in this business, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you get back to us. Mm. Right. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you. This is spring. This is really fun. The cat quietened down though. Very I think somebody quickly. may have come and taken the cat oh. away. I heard a door <laughs> shut. I was like, ah, somebody heard. Yeah, this is cool. We should do it again. I think we will. there you go thanks Yvonne I told you guys she made that so easy for me it was ridiculous I just uh, asked a few questions sat back enjoyed the history I had no idea no idea she uh, had that much connection I mean it's pretty obvious for if you watch her do her thing that she is authentic we talked about being authentic during that that little interview and it's clear she's she's entrenched in it she's been doing it a long time and what can i say she's pretty cool so thanks yvonne again check her out at yvonnelorkin.com anything for any of her links to all her work and to her really cool project with wine friend where you can order lots of great new zealand wines and i think yeah and international wines too yeah we talked about that so thank you again, Yvonne. Again, please go to decibelwines.com to check out all the new wines. We just released some rosé, which we're really excited about. There's uh, some new releases of Malbec up there, and we're shipping all over the world. Remember to use the promo code DBPODCAST uh, for 10% off. And yeah, we've got some great episodes coming up next week. We speak with Rod Hope, former winemaker at Craigie Range, and uh, some other great wineries in South Africa. And now he's got his own project called East Hope Family Wine Growers, which we're going to discuss. Really funny, interesting guy. Uh, and down the road, we have a, a series specifically, well, part of the Vintage Story series on the Giblet Gravels, which will be really interesting. I'm sure Rod and I will discuss that a bit, given his history, but we're going to specifically speak to six or eight people involved in that. So stay tuned for that. And again, thanks, guys. See ya.